Father, thank you for speaking so wonderfully to us tonight already. And Father, we feel such excitement. And I'm believing, Father, that through what we study tonight, you're going to set people free. Free to reach a new place in you and a new place of ministry. I want to pray for all those, Father, who will listen to the tape. And Father, I ask that the anointing which you will give us tonight is going to be their portion also. That people will come through into a new place concerning the gift of prophecy. And that, Father, indeed, the Spirit of God will fall upon them that they might find the very thoughts of God occupying them and being transmitted through them. Father, we ask you, Father, tonight to speak clearly to us, to make our ears receptive to what you have to say, and Father, to make my stumbling tongue an accurate instrument of your anointing and your blessing. We know it's the anointing that sets the captive free. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. And Father, it is in that anointing that we gather tonight. Just bless us and speak to us in a wonderful way. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Praise God. Now, the whole series that we're approaching the middle of at the moment is connected with essentials for growth. And, of course, I've begun this series by speaking about the need to really know who the Holy Spirit is and the need for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you've been here for the last two occasions, you'll know that I've done two, I hope, very practical talks on how to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And my belief is that people are already moving in a new way in the gifts of the Spirit, in their personal life and in their collective life as a church through those particular talks. Do you remember one of the things that we saw? We've, we covered a lot of material, I think. There were long talks. But we saw that most people have put the spiritual gifts onto such a high level that they don't think they can attain them. And what we saw was that quite the contrary, God has made them so simple that we can receive them on a daily basis. And we've got to make sure that we do. Now, I should really, this Bible study, be moving on to the next essential for growth, which is the whole subject of prayer. But I feel in my heart that I can't yet leave the subject of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You see, I've covered the gift of prophecy very quickly. We've seen some points about it, that it's basically inaccurate and so on, that it needs judging. But I feel that it's such a valuable gift of the Spirit that I want to say just a little bit more concerning this particular gift. You see, I've noticed this, that as far as instruments are concerned, the more accurate and sharp the cutting edge, the more care you need in handling it. Have you noticed that? And the more sharp the tool, the more care you need as you use it in your daily life. And I believe that prophecy is the highest of the gifts, and I believe that it's one of the most accurate of the gifts and one of the most powerful of the gifts. And what we've got to do, therefore, if we're going to use prophecy aright, is to know the difficulties associated with it, why there is inaccuracy that sometimes creeps in. We've got to know how we can separate the inaccuracy from the extreme accuracy that God's put in the gift. And I think unless we talk about these things, there's going to be confusion and people won't feel free to actually move out in prophecy. So tonight I want to speak about this marvellous gift of prophecy. By the way, I was quite a young Christian when I received my first prophecy. I want to tell you this testimony. I may have given it before, I don't know. But uh, when I'd been saved just uh, six months or so, I 
heard that there were some Americans coming over called the Four Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship International. And they were going to do some meetings in London in a hotel called the Bonington. Have you heard of the Bonington Hotel? Well, I heard that they were over and I was rather interested to go along, you know. It was an awful lot of money. It cost a pound. Uh, my grant for the whole term, I think, was 66 pounds. So that was one sixty-six. Now, if a Christian I knew took me along, that was super because they used to pay for me. Margaret, you paid for me, didn't you, on several occasions. I think Margaret Fraser paid for me on several occasions. If Margaret wasn't there, I used to stand outside looking like a non-Christian. <laughs> and, and this was a wonderful scheme. Uh, chewing your tongue as if it's chewing gum. Have you ever done like that and of course they were so evangelical that they took a look at a chap like me and thought there's a non-christian if ever we seen one he needs to come in the meeting and they used to say would you like to come in well I, my answer was always yes thank you brother and then i used to and <laughs> i used to go and i was in one particular meeting when there was a word of prophecy and the word of prophecy just said this there are five men in this meeting and i'm going to bless them and i'm going to use them and they are to get out of their seats now to come down the front and I will anoint them for their ministry. And the prophecy ended. And then the man who was leading the meeting, who was Daddy Thompson, we used to call him, Bill Thompson, he stood up and said, well, I believe that was a word from the Lord, so can we just wait on God? And these five people, you know who you are, come down the front and we'll pray. Now, I was a skeptic, you see. In these days, I hadn't been converted long. I hadn't been in the move of the Spirit very long. So I was sitting there scowling at the back, thinking, oh, this is going to be ridiculous. They're going to be crowded out down the front. You know, and then there's going to be ten people down the front, and they'll have to decide which five should be here and which five shouldn't be here. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll just sit there. And they just waited on the Lord. And as we were waiting on the Lord, it was almost as if a bonfire had been lit under my chair. The whole chair seemed to just be absolutely red hot. And I began to get all fidgety. I thought, I've got to get out of this chair. And the minute I went to move, I thought, I've got to get down the front of this meeting. And I ran down to the front of this meeting. As soon as I got there, regretted it. I thought, I'll be number six. <laughs> I know, I will. And when I opened my eyes at the front, sure enough, there were five of us. One, two, three, four, five, across the front. And these Americans, you know, came wobbling off the stage and down, <laughs> down the side. And they started with the one at that end. I was at the other end. They gathered around. It was very spiritual. And they really prayed and sought God. And I was looking at the corner of my eye all that way, I think it was. And they gathered around. And then the word of prophecy came, you will have a healing ministry, my son. You will be used to raise up many. And it went on like this, and it was a tremendous blessing. Then they came on to the next person. He was going to be an evangelist, and he was going to lead thousands to Christ. That was wonderful. On to the next one, he was going to be a Bible teacher and so on. On to the next one, he was going to be something else. And I was thinking, they won't be able to think of anything by the time they get to me. I know they won't. And so they gathered round, and there was this long pause. <laughs> I mean, it was really long. And I just stood there and I thought, I wish I'd never come down the front. They can't think of anything. They've run out of ministries. There isn't one left for me. That's what I was thinking. And they gathered round and laid hands on me, still this silence. And then one of them started to cry. <laughs> well, he didn't, he didn't just cry. I mean, it was deep 
sobbing coming out of him. And then the others started to cry. And they were crying so much, I felt like putting my arms around them, you know? And I just felt like saying, look, I may be bad, but I'm not that bad. And then the word of the Lord just came forth, and it just said this, my son, you love me. And I did, you know, I'd been saved from atheism, and it was so wonderful to know Jesus was alive. You just love me. And there was no word about Bible te- being a Bible teacher or anything like that. Praise the Lord. You see, the Lord knew who I was. I would have joined the local Bible college if he told me that. And that wouldn't have been in his will. And they just said this, people will see you and they will love me more because of the love you have for me. And that was all that was actually said. But it was my first taste of prophecy. I didn't know whether it was going to come to pass. or I was a, a, an unbeliever in one sense, you know. I didn't believe, really, that this could be the word of the Lord. But I remembered it three or four years later, and you know, it had come to pass, which was wonderful. Now, it's a lovely gift. That was tremendously encouraging to me. And I want you to know this, that God has released prophecy into the midst in great abundance. He wants people to move in prophecy, and he wants people to be encouraged through the prophetic word. But there are dangers associated with it, and so we've got to have a look at it tonight. All right? May I say immediately, by the way, that the word prophecy is, uh, let's take the Greek word first of all. Here it is. It's the word prophemi. Pro means forth. Femi means to speak. And the word prophecy means to speak forth. And the gift of prophecy occurs when you speak forth what is the counsel and the mind of God. Remember, we've already seen that God may not give you the exact words, but he'll give you the general thoughts that he wants to communicate, and you then put that particular thought into words. And we'll be seeing that a little later on. I am not speaking tonight about the office of a prophet. Now, in the Old Testament, there were people who had the office of a prophet. There are also New Testament prophets, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. When I deal with the four or five-fold ministry there, I'll be dealing with those. No, I'm talking tonight about the speaking forth which comes when you use the gift of prophecy. And you are a prophet with a small p if you are one that does prophesy. Do you remember that Philip had four daughters? We read this in the book of Acts. Who were virgins and they prophesied. Now if you prophesy, this study is for you tonight. To show you how important it is in God's sight, can we turn to our old friend, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and have a look at this. And it's best to mark this particular chapter because we'll be back to it. We spent a lot of time in it last time and the time before, but there's even more to come out. In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 1, we have a command from the Lord, and I have to say this, it's a command that the majority of Christians totally disobey. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 1 says this, follow after love, that's the first thing, and that connects it with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, except the word in Greek means more than just desire, it means earnestly desire with all your heart. And if you have a modern translation, it's probably got that, earnestly desire. And it's a command. This is not something that's optional. This is something you are told to do. Some people you know think that uh, it's outrageous to ask God to bless them. It's outrageous to ask God to give them the gifts of the Spirit. 
But this says it's not outrageous. It is what God desires of you, to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. But notice how it goes on. But rather, or rather especially, that you may prophesy. All the gifts are worthy to be desired, but the gift you should desire more than any other gift is the gift of prophecy. I wonder how many people in this meeting today have asked God to give them a spirit of prophecy today. I wonder whether you've done it in the last week. I wonder whether before you came to this meeting and whether before every meeting you go to, you ask God, God, may we be furnished with the gifts of the Holy Spirit today. May we really see the gifts flowing in the midst. You see, you're not going to receive these things if you don't ask for these things. I was once asked, and fairly recently actually, um, Roger, how did uh, you become a Bible teacher? And I said, well, it was easy. I knew I didn't understand the Bible. And for two and a half years, I asked God to open the Bible to me. Oh, hadn't thought of that. They wanted to understand the Bible. They hadn't thought of asking the great teacher to do it. It took two and a half years. If we are desirous for God, we will fulfill this particular verse and earnestly desire those spiritual gifts. There's nothing unspiritual in doing it. God loves greedy Christians, as we've seen before. To show you the exact... Uh, meaning of this word, earnestly desire, it's also used at the end of this chapter in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39. And here it's translated in a different way. It's translated using the word covet. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy. Now in God's law it says, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's ox. My neighbor hasn't got an ox, praise the Lord. But you're not allowed to covet. You're not allowed to see things that your neighbours have got that you haven't got and covet them. But the one thing you can covet is prophecy. I mean, how many people here honestly covet this particular gift? You should. And forbid not to speak with tongues. Some people feel prophecy is the only gift, really, that you should function in. Oh, no, it's not. Tongues is a wonderful gift as well, as we've seen. We need speaking with tongues. We need interpretation. But, beloved, especially we need prophecy. All right, let's go back to the beginning of 1 Corinthians 14. Let's read verse 2 and then verse 3. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. And when you speak in an unknown tongue, as we've seen, you are supernaturally speaking to God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mystery. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men. And prophesying now is when God supernaturally speaks to an individual or to the church. It's a wonderful gift. What does prophecy actually do? Well, 1 Corinthians defines five things that the gift of prophecy does, and I'll tell you this, at times we need them all in the church. We don't see enough of these things. Let's take them. Uh, verse 3 contains three of the things. One, it speaketh unto men to edification, and to exhortation, and to comfort. Do you see those three words? They're three separate things that the gift of prophecy accomplishes. Now what's edification? Edification is from the Greek word for a house, and it means to build a house. We use the word edifice, don't we? Meaning a building. So edification is the building up. And sometimes a word of prophecy comes, and it builds up the believer. I mean, you feel more mature. You feel somehow a little taller than before the prophecy was given. We've all had prophecies like this, haven't we? And heard them in the midst of the meeting. It helps you grow. 
Jesus said that he would build his church and the gift of prophecy is one of the things that does it. And so you learn a secret or there's a key that's given to you and suddenly you find you're a bit taller than you were before, a bit more robust than you were before. God has used it to edify you. All right, what's the next word? The next word is exhortation, which is parakalio in the Greek. Para, P-A-R-A, means near. Kaliu, K-A-L-E and a long O, means to call. To call near. We've got the word, haven't we? Parakletos, for the Holy Spirit. And that means one called alongside. Now, exhortation is this. It's a word that makes you walk more closely with Jesus. It's a word that calls you into conformity with his will. It's a word that helps you be conformed to his image. And these are lovely words, where the Lord just says, you don't know how to love, but today I tell you how to love. You are to, and then the word comes. I had a word like this, didn't I, about praise. It told us something about praise. Now, for some of you, that would have built you up. That was an edifying word. You knew that praise was right. You've been praising for ages. And so that really built you up. It made a way where there was no way, I think the prophecy said, and so on. But to some people, it was a word of exhortation. Some people who didn't praise suddenly learnt that praise was important. So they learnt to walk a little more closely with the Lord. The third word here is the word comfort. Again, can I give you the Greek? All right, paramuthia. It's para again, P-A-R-A, near. Muthos, muthios, M-U-T-H-I-O-S, means to speak again, and it means to speak near. And this means to speak tenderly to someone. And we've all heard words of prophecy like that, haven't we? I love you, says the Lord. I know what you've been going through, says the Lord. That's a word of tenderness. Now, I have heard some ministers who put these in order. And they say the highest word of prophecy is an edifying word of prophecy. And the second highest is a word of exhortation. The third and last is comfort. And then they go on to say, why do we get so many words of comfort? <laughs> why? It's time, brothers and sisters, we moved away from comfort and came on unto edifying. May I say that I don't agree with that. You have to be careful with the lists that are given in the Bible because some of them, you see, do actually put things in an order of importance. Others do not. I mean, if I said to you, well, eating and drinking are important for your health, am I saying that eating is more important than drinking? Of course I'm not. They're both important. And here I can't see that there's any order of importance. Listen, if you need a word of edification, it's no good having a word of comfort. But if you need a word of comfort, it's no good having a word of edification. I mean, you imagine, you're in the king's army and you're about to go into battle. Right, there you are. You know, you feel slightly teed up and a bit nervous, right? You can only see this part of the army. And a message comes from the king. Now, what do you need? You need edifying. And it says, I'm very fond of you. <laughs> well, most of the troops will say, well, what a time to tell us. I mean, <laughs> this is ridiculous. What do they need? Now, that's a word of comfort. They need a word of edifying. They need the king to say, you might be interested to know the Duke of Northumberland has just arrived with 10,000 extra troops. <laughs> or we've discovered the secret plans of the enemy and I'll tell you, we're going to defeat them. That's the word that you want. So can I say to you, don't let's put an order in these things. If a person needs a word of comfort, God will give them a word of comfort. 
if they need a word of exaltation, that's what they'll get. If they need edification, that's what they'll get. And these three things are wonderful. Prophecy, however, does two more things. And if you turn in this chapter to verse 31, we read here that we learn from prophecy. For you may all prophesy one by one, notice, we saw that last time, that all may learn and all may be comforted. I mean, if you're going to say one's important, well, comfort's mentioned twice here, so perhaps that gives it extra importance. I don't know. But do you see, we can learn from this. First of all, we learn because of what God has told us. That's the first way that we learn. But you know, you also learn by exercising the gift. So there are two ways that you can actually learn through the gift of prophesying. The fifth thing that it does, and again, let's have a look at this, in verse 24 and 25, it convicts unbelievers and the unlearned. But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he's convinced of all, he's judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. I long to see this happening. I have been in one meeting only where this has happened, where where the prophecy came through, saying, you desire to steal even this night, saith the Lord. You are planning the robbery even this night, saith the Lord. If you carry on, you will know cursing. But if tonight you will turn to me and repent, you will know blessing. And they stopped and they said, who is it? They waited on the Lord. And finally this man burst into tears, came running down the front, and it was him. We've got to see more of this. Perhaps we don't know it's available. Well, it is available. But I believe we are going to see more of this. Where an unbeliever comes, sits at the back, and suddenly the secrets of their heart are revealed, and they are convicted by God. Now, that's the unbeliever. Who is the unlearned here? The unlearned is a Christian, but someone who may be lacking an area of truth. For example, there may be someone who's not baptized in the Holy Spirit, and a word of prophecy comes forth. You see? And they're convicted. They know that God is with you in the midst. And as that word of prophecy goes forth, so they respond to God. And I do believe that there are many who can be baptized in the Holy Spirit through such a word of prophesying. Now, can you see these five things just in one chapter of the Bible that are accomplished through the gift of prophesying? Now, God wants prophecy to be used often in the church. Read 1 Corinthians 14 for yourself. Can you see the emphasis? I want you all to prophesy. I want you all to prophesy one by one. God wants it used and used frequently. Men and women can prophesy. We can all prophesy. And we've got to make sure that we do. Some people, you know, think the prophecy is cheapened if there's a loss of it. No, sir. It's not cheapened by frequent use. It's like the blood of Jesus. We use the blood of Jesus frequently, don't we? Does that cheapen it? Of course it doesn't cheapen it. No, what cheapens it rather is a wrong attitude towards it in the heart of the individual. But I will be thrilled if we have even more prophecy in our fellowship. How would you fancy a meeting, by the way, where God started here and here and here, and then we stopped to take in what they said, and then we had another two or three, and we stopped to consider that, and then we went right round the room, which the Bible says is permitted. How would you fancy that? Wouldn't it be wonderful? Some people might think, oh, it's overuse. It's not overuse. You may all prophesy one by one, but two or three at a time. That's actually what it says. 
No, prophecy isn't cheapened by use. It's cheapened, however, if the person using it or those listening to it have the wrong attitude in their hearts. You see, whenever we give a word of prophecy, I'll tell you this, it's got to come from the anointing which is in our lives. And if it doesn't flow from that anointing, it's not going to achieve what God wants it to achieve. Oh, it's expressed beautifully. Can I just point you to a lovely passage in 2 Peter? Can we go to the beginning of 2 Peter? This expresses it so marvelously. Talking, of course, about the Old Testament people who received the word of God. But the principle is the same for us. Knowing this first, he says, in verse 20 of 2 Peter chapter 1, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. It wasn't a question that a man desired to speak, and so he decided to speak, and, and that's what came out. No, sir. But rather, it says, but holy men of God spake as they were moved, by the Holy Spirit. Do you know the Hebrew word for prophecy means to well up like a spring, to bubble up like a spring. Have you ever been to the Welsh Highlands? Have you ever been into the Lake District and seen a bubbling spring? Have you ever seen a bubbling? It's beautiful. And up comes the bubbling water and you take some in your hand, you drink it and it's always cool and it's refreshing and it's, it's aerated. It's really lovely stuff. Have you ever seen pumped water? You get a different feeling about pumped water. You hear the old pump, 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 and it splashes out. It's a different feeling altogether. Now listen, the men of old who received the word of God and who gave prophecy in the Old Testament, they didn't just pump it out. Well, this is what I want to say, and, and now as it comes. It bubbled forth from them. It was something that was so fresh and lovely. So it's got to be with New Testament prophecy. It's got to be a bubbly experience. Do you see? And I believe this, that if when you are giving a prophecy, it's a bit like the old pump, it's hard work. You know, it's not right. We should prophesy as we're moved by the Holy Spirit to prophesy. Oh yes. I love the word moved. You see, what you say? You say that something moved me. It means you felt it deeply. Have you heard prophecies that are given by people and they're totally involved with what they're saying. Have you ever heard that? And you know it's coming from their heart that when God says through them, praise me, because I'm worthy to be praised, they mean it with everything that's within them. On the other hand, you've heard, well, praise me, my children, because I want you to praise me. And they're not moved by the thing. (laughs) You see, it's the anointing that breaks the yoke and it's the anointing that is the mark. I'll tell you something, the anointing should be on every bit of ministry that's given. If you're not going to minister under the anointing, what's the use of ministering at all? The anointing is the thing that achieves it. And I believe this, that if you are a full-time minister, you should be constantly moving under the anointing of God. You won't feel that anointing before you start, but the minute you start, the anointing will hit you. Now, I know today there are plenty of people who are so-called ministers. Oh, I get, well, invitations in reverse by the hundred, you see. People who say, I'm such and such a minister. Um, I'll be down in your area fairly soon. Uh, What about my coming to your fellowship to minister? And I always say, I want to hear you first, right? I'm not one of these people, oh yes, just get me and it will fill the pulpit for a day. I want to hear you first. And sometimes when I hear these people, I'll tell you this, we have more anointed ministers in our fellowship who are not full-time. 
and I'm certainly not going to have them in if that's the case. It's the anointing that ought to mark out a full-time minister, it seems to me. You see? And I believe that the minute he starts ministering, the anointing should hit. I have an anointing for Bible teaching. I can speak on creation, or the Assyrian Empire, or Genesis chapter 10, or death, or sexuality, or whatever it is, and the anointing's there. You see? Because it's, it's the ministry. We've got to learn to move under the anointing. I'll tell you this, I believe every single meeting that is held should move according to the anointing. It's the anointing that should direct a meeting. I believe that. And we've got to be in that anointing if we're going to be active in ministry. You should only minister out of something that moves you and out of something that comes from the anointing. And sometimes, you know, isn't it lovely when the anointing moves and, and you can feel that anointing? And it's the same word, it's the same theme. And then someone stands up and you wonder what meeting they've been in. They've been sitting there, cold turkey, all meeting. And they stand up, they cut right across the spirit of the meeting. But you know that they have. And then, as soon as they finished, praise God, we're back into the anointing again. We need to ask God to give us that anointing in fresh measure. And afterwards, we're going to be praying for people to receive a new anointing from God. It's essential. We've got to ask God that this anointing that we have is trained within us so that we can direct it. The anointing is like a laser beam, you see. You've got to learn to direct that anointing. It has been said that if you pointed a, a floodlight at the moon, the light is so spread out that in fact by the time it reached the moon it will cover the whole face of the moon. It just moves out like that, you see. And it will be so weak that it's not going to illumine the moon at all. If you point a laser beam towards the moon, it's so tuned, you know, that it would make a circle of only 14 miles across. Now, the anointing is like that. There are some people who've got a little bit of anointing, and they stand up and it's all over the place. You know, they're really just all over the show. And as a result, it's hard to feel any anointing upon them at all. But there are others who can just stand up and say a little word, and the anointing is right there. Have you experienced that? I believe this anointing isn't just for certain individuals. I believe it's for us all. And we must ask God to bring us into that anointed position. God wants to anoint you. And a real prophecy comes when God gives you a particular thought and you are preoccupied with that thought. And then you ask God to anoint it and out comes this anointed prophecy. Of course, as I said in uh, the talk how many? Two, two talks ago, you're going to make mistakes about this, right? At first, we do make mistakes as we move out. You may find that you give a particular prophecy, it wasn't too anointed. Don't give up at that point. What you've got to do is then get on your knees and say, next time I do it, Lord, I'm asking for double the anointing I have this time, right? Or if it hasn't been very anointed at all, ask for a hundred times the anointing <laughs> that you had this time. But you've got to do your homework with it. You see, it's no good just being lazy and sitting there You've got to actually work at these particular things with God. And so I challenge you all, desire the spiritual gifts, but ask God that they may move you so that they come out of the anointing that's upon your life. Let's turn back to 1 Corinthians 14. Let's see another principle that's uh, related to this. Right? Back in 1 Corinthians and chapter 14, look at the little verse here that says in verse 32, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, you have some control over this prophecy. You can control it. 
Do you know a man who's overflowing with the Holy Ghost, if he stands up to prophesy, the prophecy will be overflowing with the Holy Ghost. If the chap is really a bit stulted in his growth, the prophecy is going to be a bit stulted in its growth. Isn't it right? Watchman Nee said this, it's not what you say that counts, it's who you are that counts. And that's true. He said it takes 20 years to prepare a sermon for that reason. Right? You know that's right, don't you? And when you give a prophecy, it is your relationship with God that actually directs the thing. Another verse, however, is the one we must go on to. Let's go to verse 29 now. Verse 29. Let the prophets speak, two or three, and let the other judge. And here is the principle we saw in the talk on the verbal gifts, that when prophecy comes out, it has got to be judged. And so what I want to do now is to tell you how to judge a prophecy. How do you do it? How do we do it as a fellowship? How do you do it as an individual? It's important to know. The reason we have to judge prophecy, as I trust you all know by this time, is this, that you can actually hear from one of three sources. When you give a prophecy, it's either coming from God, or it's coming from yourself, or it's coming from the devil or an evil spirit. Or perhaps it's a mixture of some of those. And what we've got to do by moving on in God and being willing to make mistakes, we've got to try and perfect it so that God and God alone is heard in all of these things. So, how do you judge it? Because if you've got these three alternatives, the judgment is to sort those three out. How do you do it? Well, immediately, the first level has to be this. You've got to watch for the false prophets. That's the first level of judgment. Be careful about the false prophets. For a false prophet prophesies what the devil is saying to him. He prophesies what a demon is saying. And the words may be right, right? The words can be correct, because the devil does appear as an angel of light. But you've got to pick up that it's an evil spirit that is speaking in this particular person. How do you do it? Through one of the other gifts of the spirit, the gift of discernment. And you need to switch on the gift of discernment and say, Lord, that's wrong. I know it is. May I say, if uh, you're in a fellowship group, most of us know one another enough to know that it's not an evil spirit. But when a person you don't know stands up, check it. I mean, test the spirit. Is this an evil spirit? Test it. You've got to know. Because it would start off very lightly and very slightly wrong, but you see, if he's allowed to get away with it again, it will be worse next time, and it's going to be the simple-minded ones who get carried away with it. So we've got to know that it's not the devil speaking. So the first level of judgment is check for the false prophets, and by the way, you will get them from time to time. Okay? And they look jolly nice on the outside very often. But there's evil within them. We need our discernment on, and as we approach the last days, we're going to need this discernment more and more. The second point of judging prophecy is this. You must test the prophecy according to the Word of God. Now, you've got to test everything by the Word of God. Oh, I'm so dismayed at the number of Christians who know the Word of God, and they listen to ministry which is fundamentally off-base, and they don't notice it. Someone told me recently that someone in Chichester actually started speaking about the fact that we don't have an old sin nature inside of us. There's no sin in me. Sin is outside. And the trouble is, the people there didn't have enough savvy in the Word of God to pick it up. 
and it was glossed over. But it was a little bit of, of wrong teaching, and that is going to be soon emphasized until it's severely wrong. I hope that we would have enough savvy, right? Enough knowledge in the Word of God to pick that up immediately. You can't sit under such stuff and let them get away with it. It's wrong, fundamentally. Now, when a prophecy comes out, it must be tested by the Word of God. Now, let's make this absolutely clear. The Word of God is infallible and inerrant. Prophecy is not. Can I make that absolutely clear? This is where the apostolic church went wrong. The apostolic church loved prophecy so much that it put it on the same level as the Word of God. Did you know that? They started writing out the prophecies. They used to collect books of prophecies that they'd had, and they used to read them through equally to the Bible. And when there was a divergence, they didn't know which to trust, the Bible or the prophecy. That is not the position that we hold as a fellowship. It's not the position that true fundamentalists hold. There's only one authority, and the authority is the Word of God. Now, let's understand that. Now, having said that, beloved, we've got to believe what I've just said. Now, you see, prophecies can come out in many different forms. And as long as we know what we believe about prophecy, we can relax. Do you know there are some churches that say the prophecy should only be given in the third person singular? You have to work that out, don't you? They say that a prophecy should be given like this. The Lord, he would say to you, that sounds sounds. The Lord, he is a God of righteousness. The Lord, he is a God of justice. And when you ask them why, well, they say, it seems wrong to us that a person should stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, I am the God of righteousness. So they make this little rule about it. Now, listen, I think that's finicky, you know. It's really finicky, because as long as you know what you're doing with prophecy, it doesn't matter what form it comes out in, right? That's the truth. By the way, if you want to say the prophecies in the third person singular, please feel free. I tried it once. I mean, I was under this teaching myself for a little time, and I tried it, and there was no anointing. You know, the Lord, he would say to you, I found I personally couldn't flow in that. Don't be finicky about it. Whatever way you want to give a prophecy, you give it. Now, I read all the time in the King James Version, and that affects my spiritual language just a little bit. You'll find I speak modern words in the prophecy, but I do use the word, thus saith the Lord. Now, if you read a modern translation, you probably won't say that. You might say, this is what God would say to you. This is what God would say. I am the Lord thy God, that's what I would say. I am the Lord God. I want to bless you. Listen, don't be finicky about this. This is rather like straining the net. You always get the people, you know, come along and say, well, you shouldn't say it in that form. It's the anointing that counts. It's the message that counts, not the way. Otherwise, it's rather like opening a letter and saying, well, this isn't neatly written. It's what the letter says that counts, not the way that it's actually written out. Do you see that? And I can get beyond that. If someone gives one in the third person singular, I can, I can accept that. I'll get the message. If you want to say, thus saith the Lord, the Lord, he is a God of righteousness, and so on, that's, I can receive that. If you want to give it in modern English, I can receive that. But listen, it's the content that counts, not the way you actually put it over. Do you see that? Now, when you say, I am the Lord thy God, you're not saying that this is infallible, that this is inerrant. You're in no way claiming that. And as long as we know that, we can relax concerning this gift, can't we? Praise God. All right? So don't be offended. If you find it difficult in one way, you use another way to give the prophecy out. As long as the prophecy comes out, that's the main thing that counts in all of this. All right, so that's number one. Check 
for false prophets. Number two, check it by the word of God, and if it is in error, reject it. And you'll find, by the way, if ever I'm in a meeting, and a word of prophecy comes through, and it contradicts the word of God, you will find I'll stand up immediately and say, that's not right. right. I've never had to do that, actually, in our fellowship, which is lovely. But I will actually stand up and say, excuse me, that's contradictory to the word of God. That bit of the prophecy was wrong. The rest could have been right, but that bit is actually wrong. All right? Next one. Now, we come to more personal things here. When you receive a word of prophecy, it shouldn't leave you battered and scattered across the plain. Have you ever heard prophecy like this? I've had enough of you, saith the Lord. (laughs) This sort of thing. You idiots, you rebellious house. Now that's Old Testament prophecy. This would fundamentally contradict 1 Corinthians 14.3, which says it's a word of edification, exhortation and comfort. Oh, I've been really edified. Yes, God said he threw my bones right across Chichester Harbour. It shouldn't leave you battered like that. Let's just check that out, shall we? Let's go to the Gospels, first of all. Let's go to John 3:17. Right? You numbskulls, how many times do I have to say this, saith the Lord? <laughs> Judge it, it's wrong. And this is the truth concerning us. By the way, in your ministry, don't ever speak to a fellowship like that. Don't ever, ever, ever do it. If you feel something's wrong, give them a word of edification to get them right. Don't batter them on the ground, leave them all scattered over the place. Don't do it. Verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Right? And still today, the word of grace is going forth, and the word of prophecy is a word of grace, definitely. Jesus actually gave a prophecy, which was interesting. Uh, can we just read that in Matthew 23, 37? And notice, it's a very severe thing, but you can hear the grace and the love that comes out in the prophecy. Look at this, about Jerusalem. And it's lovely. It begins with the word, oh. Now, isn't that beautiful? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You can hear him saying it. There's no hard battering ram going in here. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Now can you see, that's a harsh word, isn't it? But you see the love that is within it. Oh, Jerusalem, you can hear it. It's lovely. And this, again, conforms with the word. Don't turn to this but I'll quote it. I've quoted it before. In James 3.17, which says this, the wisdom that is from above is pure and peaceable. Do you see that? It's peaceable. It's gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And I think that's the hallmark of a prophecy, right? It may be a stern word, and yet always there's the love and the gentleness of God involved in that particular prophetic word. So that's the third thing that we've got to note. Prophecy is not a harsh, bitter, cruel word. The fourth thing is this. We have to ask, was the prophecy anointed or was it actually from them as an individual? You've got to check it. Check the spirit that's behind the thing. I must say this, you know, that I do this to myself. When I've given a prophecy, I say, when I sit down, now, Lord, was that really anointed? 
was it or wasn't it? I often ask my wife, darling, was that word of God really anointed? She certainly asked me. We travel home in the car. She says, darling, what do you think about that word of prophecy? You know? And I may say that was really spot on tonight, you know? Sometimes I think that I've gone on a bit longer. You know how we ministers tend to go on. And having begun in the spirit, you tend to add this little section, you see. And then once you've started embarked on it, it's hard to bring it to a conclusion. Well, that's all right. Check out which bit has the anointing and which actually may have come from me. But I check that out. You do the same with yourself. Have you ever been in one of those meetings where someone is critical? They have a critical spirit. And they've passed on their criticism to people and it's had no effect. So now God's going to say it. <laughs> Except it's not God, it's them. Someone in the car coming, knowing it was prophecy, said that she'd heard a prophecy saying, I've said this before and how many times do I have to say it again, said the Lord. <laughs> well, now who's coming out? I'll tell you, probably they're like that as a person. It's them coming out. This meeting has been wasted, saith the Lord. And you know full well, the meeting's been wonderful, they've just been sitting there. To them it has been wasted. Perhaps it's a word of self-prophecy. You don't know. But you've got to check that out, you know. Is it under the anointing, or does it come from them? I think it is an abomination when someone actually puts in God's mouth the words they want to say. And we need to check it. And by the way, if you think that's happened, you discard the thing individually. Won't have it. Praise the Lord, right? That's how you judge that particular prophecy. Oh, there are people who do this frequently around, right? I find it amusing sometimes, but sometimes it's heartbreaking because of the damage that it actually causes. All right? So that's the thing. Was the prophecy I gave or was the prophecy they gave anointed? How much was from them? How much was from me? The next thing we have to ask when the word of prophecy is given is this. Was that prophecy for the whole fellowship? Was it for me... Or was it for another individual? Now that's what we've got to ask, you see. Do you know, sometimes I have known this experience myself. I don't do it anymore. But sometimes a word of prophecy is given. And you think, oh, they're always prophesying. You see? Oh, they're always prophesying. And that, well, no. Oh, Lord. And you just pass it by. And you think, well, that hasn't done anything. And do you know, sometimes I've gone home and I thought, well, it was a jolly good meeting. You know, I've really learnt a lot. But that prophecy, no nothing. And you know, that afternoon, often I've had a phone call from someone who was a visitor to the meeting. And they said, oh, I just want to thank that person, whoever it was, who gave that prophecy. Which prophecy? Do you mean this prophecy? No, no, not that one. Do you mean this prophecy about? No, no, no. You don't mean that prophecy about Jones. <laughs> yes, I do. And they said, no one knew me. They didn't know anything about me. And that word came forth and it was just for me, for my circumstances. Now there, it's done nothing for the people in the midst. But it's done something for one person who's sitting over there. Beware when you are judging. It might just be that it's for one individual, you see. Sometimes the Lord will say this, uh, I want you to praise me, saith the Lord. Now sometimes that's to the meeting as a whole. Do you know, sometimes it's to an individual. What you have to ask is, has the meeting been praising God up to this moment? If the meeting has, it's not for the whole meeting. But it's for one individual who hasn't been praising the Lord. Do you see that? So you must judge it. If you don't judge it, you can think, well, Lord, I'm exhausted through praising you, and still I'm not praising you enough. <laughs> and you think, God, you're a real taskmaster. <laughs> you know, I'll come with three tambourines next week. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you're praising the Lord with everything. And another word comes through. You're not praising me enough, saith the Lord. And you're going, I'm exhausted. 
I've known sometimes that feeling, you know, when a word's been given. And you thought, but this has been a wonderful meeting. We've all been praising the Lord. Lord, you say we still aren't praising you enough. <laughs> all you have to do is look on the back row and there's some person. <laughs> it's for them. Hallelujah. And perhaps you should go up and say, excuse me, I think that word was for you. <laughs> Would be good. Sometimes a word of prophecy you do feel is for you. Now, I want to say this to you. Beware if ever a word of prophecy gives you some form of guidance. Beware. Don't ever do anything just because a word of prophecy has been given to you. Let me show you the principle here. If you go to 2 Corinthians uh, 13, 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 1, he says this, this is the third time I am coming to you, in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Now if you receive a word of prophecy, don't act just because of that word of prophecy. Don't. It's important. I mean, I had a word of prophecy that uh, I would be used in a particular way, you see, in a very definite way. But you see, the time wasn't right. And I was about to move on that word, and it was only when I checked with others, they said, Roger, it's not right now. And it was the check that brought the prophecy into its right place. Do you see? We must beware of this. I do believe this. If God is going to guide you, he must speak to you individually first. Or at least individually afterwards. You see? But the prophecy must not be enough. I think this is a principle. I think into that also in the book of Acts. Let's go to Acts 13. In Acts 13, verse 2, and this is the setting aside of Barnabas and of Saul for the work. But look what it says, and I think the words are important here. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And I think there's an implication in this verse that they already knew their calling. Do you see? Before they went. So it wasn't just a matter that hands were laid on them and they received a prophecy... And then out they went, sort of saying, well, fancy God calling us to this. I had no idea. It wasn't that. They had a feeling in their hearts that this was right, and so they moved out on that particular word. So that's another thing you've got to just check. The sixth thing I would say is this. If a word of prophecy is predictive, it says something is going to happen, that thing will come to pass. It will. If it doesn't, it's not of the Lord. Do you remember the example I gave two times ago? when I said about the chap who said, bring out the worst and I will heal them. Do you remember that? And the worst was brought out, he wasn't healed. Now, was that the word of the Lord or wasn't it? It wasn't, because God would have healed it. Sometimes you have a, a thing like this, I will do a new thing in this meeting, saith the Lord. Ah, now what often happens is, if something new doesn't happen, people say, well, we missed it. When are we going to learn to hear God? Now listen, God isn't like that. If God says he will do a new thing, he will do a new thing, right? It's not a question, oh, I've changed my mind. What? You think I'm going to do that? You've been bashing that damn brief for half an hour, and I didn't want you to. That makes God into such an ogre. Who's going to be able to move under such a regime? Sometimes God does say this, I will do a new thing, and he's talking to an individual in the midst. And that person leaves, and they say, Lord, I've come to a new place today. If God says he's going to do a new thing, he will do the new thing. Don't try and explain it away and help God out. 
of this difficult circumstance. We're only going to see prophecy really moving in the anointing and effectively if we do judge it correctly, and it is important. The next thing is this. Prophecy has got to be judged by those who prophesy and by those in authority, and we've got to learn to receive that judgment if necessary. Again, back to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's read it again. Verse 29. Let the prophet speak two or three, and let the other judge. And it is vital that when we prophesy, it is under others' authority. And if someone comes up to you and says, excuse me, brother, but I don't feel that was anointed today, I think you've got to go away and seriously consider that, especially if there's someone who, who does move under the anointing in prophecy. If there's someone who's never prophesied, don't take it seriously. By the way, I do object to people who criticize others and who are busy pointing the faults out in others when they don't do anything themselves. I mean, if you don't think someone's a good minister, why don't you minister and show them how to do it? If you don't think they give an anointed prophecy, you stand up and give a prophecy to show them how it's done. It might catch on. You don't know. It's important that we do this. But always, if you're prophesying, do realize this, that there will be people actually judging. The last thing I would say on judging prophecy is this. If a person cannot receive judgment, if a person is uncorrectable, then I think they shouldn't be allowed to prophesy because they're not under any judgment at all, you see? Now, obviously, there are ways of doing this. I mean, we have to make a personal judgment in our own heart. If it's seriously wrong, then it may be a public judgment. If it's only a little wrong, it may be a word outside the meeting. But generally speaking, I think most of the prophecies we receive as a fellowship are possible. Some are very anointed. We have some excellent ministers in prophecy in our own fellowship. We've got some who need to go a lot, lot, lot deeper in the ministry, you know, of prophecy. And we've got to understand that, you see. May I say here that despite all of these dangers, God still desires us to prophesy. You see, I think some people after all this will say, oh dear, oh dear, it's so difficult, I'd better not embark upon it. No, no, don't do that. Know what the dangers are. Know there are difficulties. But then we shall feel relaxed with one another because if we're moving in love, then it's easy to function in an atmosphere of love. All right, to get that balance, can we go to 1 Thessalonians and chapter 5? Because that's what that says. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 19, look, quench not the spirit. Don't sit there saying, I'm not going to prophesy. I just refuse. Because God may be upon you with the spirit of prophesying. Don't sit there quenching the spirit. But look this. Verse 20, despise not prophesying. And sometimes you can. You see, you make a judgment on the person who's given it very often. Oh, well, I'm never blessed when they prophesy. You're wrong. You're despising prophesying. Or you say, it's the same old stuff. God often says to fellowships, Praise me, my people. Praise me. He's not saying that you failed up to now. What he's saying is, it's good for me to remind you about this. We all need a reminder, don't we? There may be new people in the fellowship who don't know what praise is about. That's a word for them. But don't despise the prophesying saying, same old thing coming out of the mouth. Make sure your attitude and your heart is right to this. Then it says, verse 21, prove all things and hold fast that which is good. Now, around this country, you'll find that fellowships, if they have prophesying at all, take one of two views on it. 
generally speaking, and some are halfway between, you know. Some take a very hard line and they restrict prophesying altogether. Right? They restrict it. I think they misunderstand the gift of prophesying. I mean, you just have to read 1 Corinthians 14, as I've said, to see that God wants it used often. He wants us all to prophesy. He doesn't want it, this restrictive thing. They are misunderstanding the use of prophecy. I heard on the radio recently a leader of a house church saying that before someone can give a prophecy in his church, uh, they have to come to the front and whisper it in his ear. Give the prophecy to him. And he listens, and then he, th he says, No. <laughs> you can't say that, and so the prophecy is, is no go. On the other hand, he thinks, Yes, that fits in nicely. Okay, you can give it. I would suggest to you, if that happens in our fellowship, do you know the result? You're going to have hardly any prophesying at all, and it will only be from approved, officially approved people. And I would suggest to you that that way, God isn't going to be free to say what he wants. I mean, I'm no fool. If you're going to prophesy something that's going to disturb this meeting, I'm not going to let you. Right? I don't want you shaking the boat. But God may try and rock the boat. He wants to. You say, no, sir, you come and whisper in my ear. So we don't apply that particular policy. I believe that the emphasis in the Bible is the policy that we adopt, and that is that we have liberty in prophesying, but that there is judgment. Now, again, this is fraught with danger. Because, you see, there are some people who misuse the gift of prophecy. They become blasé about it. They're used to pumping out an old prophecy. That's wrong. It's terribly wrong and shouldn't be allowed. We shouldn't have any professional ministers around, right? No professional prophesier who can just churn out a prophecy at will. That's all wrong. I believe that if you're in that position, there are two things you've got to do. One, you've got to realize just what you're saying. I mean, if you are standing up in all good faith and saying, thus saith the Lord, I suggest to you, you've really got to know that what you are receiving really is from the Lord. Check it again. Right? Ask the Lord. When you are saying, thus saith the Lord, really are you meaning it? That this is God's word for that specific occasion. The second thing, check, is the anointing. Right? Ask God again. Give me that anointing, Lord. Increase the anointing. And I think providing you will do that, your word of prophecy will increase in depth. Don't be satisfied with the depth you've reached. Move on afresh in the word of prophesying right? Move on into new depths that you've never touched before. I think that's very important. All right, let me just end by going through general rules, and these are rules we must apply as a fellowship. First, if a prophecy is for an individual, there is no need to stop the meeting. If a prophecy comes and you all know it's for an individual, that individual can sit and contemplate that word. The meeting can just carry on. Similarly, if a word of prophecy is exhorting you to praise, say, or to worship, the meeting can move in the spirit of that prophecy and move straight into what the prophecy is talking about. No need to stop. However, if, and this is the second rule, if a word of prophecy is for the whole fellowship, we must have a time to consider that prophecy. We must. God may have another prophecy to give us, or he might have another one after that. We've got to wait for God. And we've got to re-emphasize this. It's important. When God has spoken to us as a fellowship, don't be blasé to the word of the Lord. Don't. Check it. Take it seriously in the midst. And I would ask again the elders to consider this afresh. 
that if there is a word from the Lord and someone immediately jumps in with the chorus, it's disgraceful to do that. It happens, you know. It's one of the dangers of the open-handed policy, you see. But you can get that. God's just spoken in depth and someone starts a chorus. Well, have they been listening to what God's been saying? It's got to be stopped, you see. And I think we've got to do it. If the elders don't do it and you feel it strongly, you stand up and say, I hope this is all right. But I personally feel we need time to digest that particular prophecy. And by the way, if you're right, you'll get an amen from everyone else in the meeting, including the elder who may have popped off to sleep, <laughs> right, whose job it should be to do it, right? Our elders are quite diligent, may I say. But it's essential that we do this, you see, because we can get blasé about the prophetic word. We must not. And if we have got blasé about this, you don't solve it by cutting down on it. You'll cut out prophecy altogether if you do. You solve it by having a new personal realization of what prophecy is about. And you solve it by having the church realize what prophecy is about. So you have to stop and you have to contemplate and think. All right? And by the way, I would say this. If you've ever cut straight across a prophecy, ask yourself why you've done that. Have you been listening? Right? We must get this clear. Therefore, I would say this, that it seems to me that those in authority do have the right to go up to a person who's cut across in that way and say, look, brother, you know, why did you do that? I can't understand it. It was really an anointed word from God. Why did you do it? I think that would bring a realization home. I also think that those in authority have the right to go up to a person and say, you're getting samey. Do you know what I mean by samey? It's the same routine coming out. You know, I heard that prophecy last week from your lips. And I think we've got to catch up on that as well, you see. I also think if there isn't enough anointing, we should feel free to say to people, look, could you ask God for a greater anointing upon your prophecy? This gift is so precious, but so fraught with dangers, we've got to know what we're doing. And beloved, let's be tender-hearted to one another, shall we, over this? Right? Let's not get hardline or uppity about it. We're all learning to move out in this particular thing. I generally find now that God's taken me back to the place I was in when I first started to prophesy. And that is, it had to be God before I did it. And I now know the anointing. And when that anointing hits, I know it's really the word of the Lord. I can turn up and say, thus saith the Lord, and know that it is. Every one of us, it seems to me, have got to ask God to bring us to that position. Don't worry about the mistakes. God will cover those particular mistakes, right? But in love, we've got to move through. So here it is, a gift that we must earnestly desire, yea, we must covet that particular gift, a gift that we've got to see functioning regularly in our fellowship group, but a gift that we've got to watch because of these inherent dangers. Can we just pray now, and let's ask God to really anoint us in this. Praise God. And we've got a few minutes now, and we're just going to move out in it. Praise the Lord. Father, I just thank you so much, Lord, for this wonderful gift of prophesying. We thank you, Father, that you desire your body to move in this particular gift. And, Father, you desire every one of us to move in it. I would ask you, Father, to give us a hunger and a thirst that we should know what it is to move in prophecy in our own lives. We pray for all the little fellowships, all the house groups, Father, that the new anointing of prophecy might break out upon them. Prophecy in depth, personal prophecy, prophecy to the whole group, hallelujah, that we should see you speaking to your people as you long to speak. Father, we want to learn from you face to face. 
We ask you, Father, through prophecy to do it. In Jesus' mighty name. Oh, hallelujah, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Praise you, praise you, praise you. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah.